Well, it is good to see all of you in the house of the Lord today. This morning, I want us to take an opportunity to look at one of the great stories about Christmas. Even though the story does not take place on that first Christmas night, we still oftentimes associate this story with Christmas time. I know I'm going to shock some of you this morning when I say this. Contrary to many of our Christmas songs and to the nativity scenes that we see, you do know, I hope, that the wise men were not there the night Jesus was born, right? Well, that is the truth. And when we read Matthew's account of the wise, man's, the wise men's story, it is easy to tell that. So, if you have your Bibles or your device this morning, and I hope that you do have one of them today, I'm going to ask that you open the, your Bible or your device to Matthew, the second chapter. Matthew, the second chapter. Matthew is the one who records for us the story of the wise men. Now, I like what one woman said about the wise men. She said, wise and men together was an oxymoron. In fact, she suggests the situation would have been much better if God would have sent wise women. The women would have asked for direction sooner, arrived on time, helped Mary deliver the baby, and clean the stable. They would have brought practical gifts like pampers, baby wipes, and formula. Now, men, she does have a point, does, uh, doesn't she? There's no doubt maybe the situation would have turned out a lot different than it did if God would have sent wise women rather than wise men. But that is not what we learn in Scripture, is it? In Scripture, we learn that God chose to send some wise men, not just three kings of Orient or four wise men. We're uncertain exactly about the number of them. We do know that they traveled in large caravans. So this was probably a very large group of men that came to find the baby Jesus. So I want us to read this story together, and through this story, I think we're going to learn some very practical lessons from some wise men this morning. So if you have your Bibles there, find the second chapter, if you've not found it, of the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Now, isn't that amazing, that statement right there? They have traveled this great distance to come and to worship this baby that was born. You know, as I think about that, I wonder how many times in the world in which we live in, especially in America, we look for reasons not to go to worship on Sunday morning. These men looked for a reason. They had traveled thousands and thousands of miles. No doubt they had encountered all kinds of things along the way just for the opportunity to see this baby who was born king of the Jews. Isn't that true? 
I hope that we have that sense of eagerness in us as God's people, the desire to want to come together to worship Jesus Christ. I am convinced one of the things that are to mark us, that are to make us different, is our passionate worship of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. These men had traveled for days, months, to come and to worship Jesus Christ, this baby who had been born in Bethlehem. Now I want you to go back to this text and look with me. When Herod the king, verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will, be, who will shepherd my people Israel. I'm always amazed by that prophecy. You can kind of get this picture in your mind, can't you? Here is Herod. He sins for the religious rulers of his day and time, the Pharisees and the scribes and, and, uh, and the elders. And he says, hey, I want you to tell me what prophecy is spoken about the one, the Messiah, who would be born. And they get the prophecy right, don't they? This is what it says. In Bethlehem will come this great ruler, this person who will shepherd my people Israel. And I'm amazed at that because they, even after this prophecy and understanding this prophecy, they still miss who Jesus Christ is. You know, nowhere in this story are we ever told that one of the elders or the scribes says to the caravan, hey guys, let me just get my things together. I want to go with you and see if this is the one that is spoken of in Scripture. We never see that. They get the prophecy completely right, but they still miss who Jesus Christ is. I wonder if that's not true in America today. If there are not many people who can tell you all kinds of facts about who Jesus Christ is, but they don't really know who he is. Is that even possible? You know, there's a big difference in knowing facts about someone and knowing someone. I can tell you facts about the president of America, but I can tell you right now, I do not know him. I could tell you facts about my wife, and I would tell you this morning, I do know him her in a personal and an intimate way. Listen to me carefully. If you get nothing else out of this message today, this is it. Simply knowing facts about Jesus Christ doesn't make you right with God. That's the truth of Scripture. You can quote verse for verse for verse about who Jesus Christ is and still not know Him in a personal, intimate way. There is a big difference. There's a big difference. When you know Jesus Christ in a personal and an intimate way, you are willing to trust your life 
completely with Him. You fully and completely understand there is nothing good in you. You are not accepted by God because of who you are. You are accepted by God because of who Jesus Christ is in you because He is the Savior of your life. That is the reason you're accepted. They had all of the information about who Jesus Christ was. And the sad thing in this story is, they, Jesus Christ came to be their Messiah, and they still missed it. They did not get it. You know, I fear on Sunday mornings there are people that leave churches in America who do not get it. They don't get it. Let's go back to this passage of Scripture. Verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men and secretly and summons the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I Two may come and worship him. Now let me just pause right here because I believe it is in the words of Herod that we find this first lesson that we learn from the wise men. Now listen to me carefully. It's very important. A diligent search for God will always lead you to Jesus Christ. A diligent search for God will always lead you to Jesus Christ. That is the truth of Scripture. Did you hear what Herod said to the wise men in this story? Go and search diligently for him, is what he said. Matthew opens his story, or he starts his story by telling us, after Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the days of Herod, there were wise men that came from the east. Now, some of your Bibles may refer to these wise men as magi. Actually, the word that is used here to describe them is the word magician, but not the kind of a magician that we think about, not the one that uses the sleight of hand. Most Bible scholars believe that this group of men was from modern-day Iraq or Iran and that they were very learned, that they had a knowledge in the area of science and astrology. But rather than focusing on them this morning, I want you to hear their question in this text. When they arrived in Jerusalem, this is the question that they asked. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Or it could be translated this way. Where is the Messiah, the long-awaited one? Are you amazed that the very first words spoken in the New Testament by a human is basically the question, where is God? That is the question. Where is God? As I thought about that question this week, I've realized in over 2,000 years, the world hasn't changed a lot. People are still asking that same question today. When tragedy strikes their family, they ask, where is God? When marriages fall apart and families are being broke up, they ask, where was God in the midst of my heartache? 
When a child is stricken by some horrible disease or some catastrophe hits the world that we live in, the first question people want to ask is, why didn't God do something about it? Isn't that true? Today, people are asking the same exact question that these men asked 2,000 years ago on the first Christmas, well, not the first Christmas day. Let's just say shortly after the first Christmas day. They went to Jerusalem and they asked the question, where is the one, the Messiah, the long-awaited one, the King of the Jews? Now, you have to understand there was something special about this child, right? I mean, we have to acknowledge that. Why in the world would they travel thousands of miles to see this child if there was nothing special about him? Now, I could attempt this morning to provide a theological answer to those questions that people have, but I have come to realize that is not what most people want. But I can tell you this today. If you honestly seek God like these wise men did, you will always be led to Jesus Christ. That is the truth of Scripture. As a matter of fact, there's two verses of Scripture in the Bible that makes this abundantly clear. The first one is found in Colossians, the first chapter in the 15th verse. This is what Paul wrote there. He said, he, that is referring to Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. Paul is saying Jesus is God in the human flesh. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus Christ. He is God, is what Scripture teaches us. The other verse of Scripture that is found in the Gospel of John, the very first verse of that passage or the very first verse of that particular book, this is a passage we've looked at. We've studied, this is what John recorded for us in that verse. In the beginning was the Word. Now let's just pause right there. Now we know from studying this passage of Scripture, the Word, there, Word, refers to Jesus Christ. So we can remove Word from that passage of Scripture. We can insert the name of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ was with God, and Jesus was God. That's what it says. That is the clear teaching of God's Word. When a person diligently searches for God, they will always be led to Jesus Christ. That is the first lesson that we learn from these wise men. I don't know where you are in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Maybe you're here today and you're seeking to understand more about Christianity, more about who Jesus Christ is. I would tell you today, if you honestly search for God, it will lead you to Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the world. He is the Savior of the world. That is the only conclusion you can draw when you read Scripture, that Jesus Christ is exactly who He said He was that He is the Son of God who hung and died to pay the penalty for our sins. All right, let's go back to this text again. Now, I want us to see the rest of this story because I believe we're going to learn a second lesson in this story. Listen to verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them 
until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I want you to listen. I love what it says next. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. That's just a little side note here. Did you notice how excited these men were about the opportunity of meeting Jesus Christ for worship that day? Man, they had traveled thousands of miles. They had been on a long, arduous journey. And they can barely stand it. Thinking about the opportunity they have to go bow down and to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Did you see? It's as though, to make emphasis here, Matthew repeats the same thing twice. Did you get that? Listen to what he says again. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's like he's saying, these people were filled with joy, joy, if that is possible. Are you this morning? Are you filled with joy, joy in your life today? At the thought of having the opportunity to meet Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in worship? I don't know about you, but I can't say that's always true of my life every Sunday morning. I mean, we we can be honest with one another, right? Even if we're not honest with one another, God knows. We're not hiding anything from Him. I don't know every Sunday morning I wake up anticipating with great joy the opportunity to go and worship my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but I will tell you one thing, I should. I should. And if you're a believer today, you should. As a matter of fact, I would say it ought to take a herd of wild horses to keep us out of God's house on Sunday morning. However, I think the opposite is sometimes true. People look for every reason not to go and worship God on Sunday morning. I mean, we are being honest with one another today, aren't we? They were overjoyed. They rejoiced at the opportunity to go and to worship their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want you to see something here. When they got there, I want you to see what happens. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. I think it is here that we see the second lesson that we learn from these very wise men. This is it. Wise people give God their treasures. Wise people give God their treasures. When we chose to trust Jesus Christ as our Lord, that means that He became King of our lives. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as a result of that, we ought to offer unto the
the Lord the very best of all that we have. The best of our time, the best of our finances, the best of our gifts, the best of our abilities, everything. The very best. I want you to stop this morning for just a moment. I want you to think, what is the single greatest treasure in your life? Outside of your relationship with Jesus Christ, I hope if you know Jesus Christ, He is the first name that came to your mind. Now, if you're like me, probably the single greatest treasure out of my relationship, outside of my relationship with Jesus Christ, is my wife, Robin. And then after that, it would probably be my children is who would be next. I can remember when each one of my children were born, I can remember going and standing by their crib on the night we brought them home and offering them up to the Lord and saying to the Lord, these children belong to you. I realize they are just simply a gift given by you to me. And what I need more to do more than anything else is to be a good steward of who they are. I need to pour into their life spiritually. I need to help them to be all that they can be in Christ Jesus. That's what I need to do. But can I say, there are not always times that I trust Jesus with my children. Can I say that today? There are times I want to take that treasure and I want to hide it. And sometimes I think in my life, I know better than what God knows for my children. And really what my children need is they need a good education so they won't have to struggle in life like some of the struggles I've had. I want to protect them. I want to keep them and experience the hardships and the tribulations that all believers. I want to keep them from suffering. I want to give them kind of a cushy life in America. Isn't that what we all want to do? But can I tell you this morning, that is not what we should do with our children. The desire of our heart for our children above and beyond anything else is not for them to have the best education in life, not for them to have the finest job and to make the most money in the world. The best thing we can do for our children is raise them in the admonition of the Lord. That can be the best thing. That is the best thing we can do for our children. Let me say, these guys withheld nothing from the Lord. They withheld nothing. I mean, think about the gifts they gave. Gold, one of the most precious commodities on earth. They gave frankincense or incense. It was used in the temple when they would offer sacrifices as their part of act of worship to the Lord. And then they offered myrrh. You know what myrrh was used for, right? That was to embalm the dead. That's what they used myrrh for. And everyone at this day and time knew that. You see, they recognized there would be something significant about this child in his death. I'm not saying they understood fully and exactly what would happen, but they knew there was something significant about this child. Oh my goodness, they've just traveled months and thousands of miles to see him. Can't you see that? Wise people give God their treasures. The last lesson we learn here is this. Once you meet Jesus, your life 
will be forever changed. I want you to go to this passage of Scripture and I want you to listen to verse 12, how it finishes. And being warned in a dream not to return by, to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So what we see here in this story is, is these men received a dream from the Lord. And as a result of receiving that dream from the Lord, they chose to go home by a different way. But can I suggest this to you today? Not only did these men go home a different way, they went home different men. Can I tell you that? I mean, they had been in the presence of Jesus the King. You see, when we encounter Jesus and we recognize who He is, you will never be the same again. You will never be the same again. I mean, that is the truth of God's Word. The true indication that a person has made a genuine decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ is a changed life. That's the true indication. 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, and the 17th verse says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. That phrase there, in Jesus Christ, speaks of the union that took place when we trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. As a matter of fact, I would tell you this morning, men and women, if you are married today, your marriage ought to be a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in our marriage, we have experienced an intimate and personal relationship with our spouse. And that is what it is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is to know Him in an intimate and a personal way. It is a union that has taken place in our life. And as a result of that union, we have been forever changed. It is utterly impossible to meet Jesus Christ and not be changed. That is impossible. That's impossible. If you have met Jesus Christ and you truly know who He is, your life will be forever changed. That is the truth of Scripture. I mean, think about it. Regeneration. Born again. New creation. All of those words speak of one thing. Change in a person's life. I want you to listen to me carefully this morning. If you get nothing else out of this sermon, please, please hear this right here. If you're here this morning, you claim to be a believer, and you can look at your life right now, and it is no different now after you met Christ than it was before you met Christ, I want to plead with you this morning to honestly evaluate whether you truly know Christ. Do you truly know Christ? When these men met Jesus Christ, they were forever changed. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. That's not what I'm meaning. But it's like that one old minister said, when I met Jesus Christ, he changed my wonder. 
If your owner hasn't changed since you've met Jesus Christ, you need to really step back and ask, do I know Jesus Christ? Now, you know what I mean when I say owner, right? The desires of our life has changed, I hope, in meeting Christ. For years, people have been fascinated by stars. People have spent countless hours studying them and gazing at them in their lifetimes. Over 2,000 years ago, a group of men, the Bible refers to them as wise men, started on a journey following a star in the east. When they came to the end of that journey, they found a child who would forever change their life. I would tell you this morning, your star may not appear in the sky like that first Christmas day. I believe the stars that God chooses to use today are His followers. Who knows? Maybe that's the reason God has placed me here this morning, is to be a star that guides you to Jesus Christ. You see, wise people still seek Jesus Christ. But the wise men were not wise because they were seeking Jesus Christ. No. They were wise because they found Jesus Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? That's the reason they were wise. If you genuinely seek Him today, you will find Him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word in the way it speaks into our hearts and our lives. Father, as we enter into this time of invitation, I pray that you would open our hearts once again to hear from your Spirit, to draw and to convict where we need to be convicted. Father, if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray even now that your conviction would be stronger in their life than they've ever experienced before. That you would draw them unto a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, we give you this time and pray that you would be honored and glorified. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to ask you to